Welcome to Christchurch Manchester Sermon Podcast. CCM is one church that meets every Sunday in various locations across Manchester. For more information about who we are or about our Sunday meetings, please visit www.christchurchmanchester.com. So what do you think of when you hear the word loyalty? Last year, I lived with an Italian guy who loved loyalty cards. He had a Nectar card for when he went to Sainsbury's, a club card for when he went to Tesco. He even had a Waitrose card so he could get a free hot drink when he went to Waitrose. Is that what loyalty is about? Having a loyalty card for every supermarket within a mile of your home? I have another friend who is a keen supporter of Newcastle Football Club. For those of you who don't know much about football, Newcastle United are a pretty average team. Their recent finishes in the Premier League are 10th, 15th, 18th, 10th, and 13th. And yet, despite the fact that Newcastle United regularly lose more games than they win, my friend's support for his team is unwavering. Is this what loyalty is about? Supporting your team regardless of the results they get. A few weeks ago, there was a story in the news about a three-year-old girl in Australia who went missing from her home, and as heavy rain flooded the creeks around her home, she became trapped. The whole time she was away from her home, the family pet, a dog named Wolfie, a Jack Russell, was with her, protecting her from danger. And 24 hours later, she was found alive and well. Is this what loyalty is? The faithful bond between a dog and its owner. This evening, we're going to consider what it looks like to be loyal to Jesus and to be loyal to the gospel. In the years after Jesus' death, there was a Pharisee named Saul. And Saul was extremely passionate about his faith. He was so passionate that when people came saying Jesus was the saviour that the Jews had been waiting for, he went to great lengths to try and stop them. One day Saul was on his way to Damascus and he had this incredible encounter with God. He was blinded by a light from heaven and he heard the voice of Jesus calling to him saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? God sent a man named Ananias to Saul who prayed for him and his eyesight was restored. From that moment, Saul started proclaiming the good news about Jesus. Saul then travelled around what is modern-day Turkey, Greece, up to Italy, preaching the good news about Jesus and establishing churches. He received the name Paul, and when he was in Lystra, he met a man named Timothy, who was well respected by the, lead, the believers there. Paul asked Timothy to accompany him on his travels and to join with him in preaching the good news about Jesus. At times they would travel together, while at other times Paul would send Timothy to churches to teach, encourage, and correct the believers there. Towards the end of his life, Paul found himself imprisoned in Rome. 
He knew that he didn't have long until he was sentenced to death. And this is where we pick up the story in the book of 2 Timothy, a letter sent by Paul from his prison cell in Rome to Timothy in Ephesus, from a man who had been faithful to God all his life, to his spiritual son, urging him to remain loyal to God and to the gospel. We're going to read 2 Timothy chapter 1 from verse 6 to 14. For this reason, I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For the spirit God gave us does not make us timid, but gives us power, love, and self-discipline. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. He has saved us and called us to a holy life, not because of anything we have done, but because of his own purpose and grace. This grace was given us in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the appearing of our Saviour Christ Jesus, who destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching, with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. The first way that Paul urges Timothy to be loyal is to use the gifts that God has given him. Timothy, in verse 6, it says, For this reason I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. Timothy clearly had a gift, a gift given to him by God. This happened when Paul laid his hands on him, most likely as Timothy was being commissioned to go to Ephesus. Paul doesn't say what Timothy's gift is, but Timothy knew. And Paul is reminding Timothy to nurture and use the gift that he has been given. Timothy had an important job to do in Ephesus, and Paul knew that the gift that was given to Timothy would be needed. The Bible talks of numerous gifts that have been given to us as believers and to the church. 1 Corinthians 12 talks of the spiritual gifts that are given to those that are filled with the Holy Spirit. The gifts of wisdom, of faith, healing, miracles, prophecies, the ability to distinguish between spirits, tongues, and the interpretation of tongues. We are each given gifts according to the will of God. And the Bible is clear that each person who is filled with the Holy Spirit has at least one of these gifts. And these gifts are given to us so that we might use them to build the church and build God's kingdom. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 10 says, Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. 
equally, God may have given you other gifts, the gift of bringing encouragement, of making people feel welcome, of providing hospitality, of comforting, of discipling, of evangelism, of administration, of generosity. And there are many more. There are a whole number of gifts that can be used to bless the church and to build the kingdom of God. Here at the evening service, we have a number of gifted bakers who use their gift to bless us as a community. They're using gifts that they have been given. I'm convinced that God has given every single person in this room a gift. Some of you may know what your gifts are. Others may not. And there may be a few people sitting here thinking, no, I don't think I have a gift. Well, I'm going to say it again. I am convinced that God has given every single person in this room a gift. What gift has God given you? And how are you using it? This talk is part of our fire series. And I love the imagery that Paul uses here. Fan into flame the gift of God. When we hear the phrase fan into flame, we think of an image of trying to bring a recently lit fire into life. Or maybe we think of a fire that's dying down and we're trying to get it going again. We learn elsewhere in Paul's letters that Timothy is a naturally timid guy. In his letter to the church in Corinth, Paul writes to them saying, When Timothy comes, see that you put him at ease among you. Maybe Timothy had let his nature get the better of him and needed encouragement to step out in his gifts again. Alternatively, the phrase Paul uses could mean to keep the fire alive or even to keep it ablaze. Maybe Paul was encouraging Timothy not to let his fire die down by continuing to exercise his gifts faithfully. One thing that is very clear is we don't have to light the fire ourselves. God is the one who lights the fire. God is the one who gives the gifts. Alternatively, the fate... Oh. Our job is to spark that fan into flame, to nurture and develop the gifts that he has given us in a way that glorifies him. At work the other month, I had to do our annual fire safety course. I'm sure many of you have done a course like this, but part of the course looks at the three things that are needed for a fire to sustain itself. And one of those things is fuel. No matter how well a fire is burning, if we don't continually feed it with fuel, it will die down. And our gifts are similar. If we don't continue to feed and to exercise our gifts, they will die down. Like hot embers under a layer of ash, the fire is still there, but they are no longer giving heat to the room. They are no longer fulfilling their purpose. The question I want us to consider today is what does your fire look like? How are you taking care of the gifts that God has given you? Is your fire like a roaring fire? Is your gift like a roaring fire, giving warmth and light to those around it? 
If so, great. Let's keep it that way. Continue feeding it. Continue exercising those gifts. Has the busyness of life, of work, of studies, of family resulted in your gift being forgotten? Is your fire dying down to coals that need more fuel to get it going again? Or has it even become like embers under a layer of ash? If so, it's time to add kindling to the fire and fan those embers back into flames. Maybe you're just discovering your gift as if your fire has been lit for the first time. Now is the time to start nurturing your gift, to fan your flame into a roaring fire. Are you content with your fire? Are you content with the way that you are stewarding the gift that God has given you? What steps could you take this week, this month, this year to fan into flame the gift that God has given you? Let us choose to be loyal by using the gifts that God has given us. The second way that Paul urges Timothy to be loyal is to not be ashamed of the gospel, to not be ashamed of him. In verse 8, Paul tells Timothy, Do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Paul's life demonstrates the extremes at which some people suffer for the gospel. As he went around preaching the good news, he was abused, he was beaten, he was thrown into prison, and people regularly plotted to kill him. On one occasion he was stoned, and when they thought he was dead, they dragged his body out of the city. The gospel leads to persecution and suffering. It is an offensive gospel. People don't like the idea that they are sinful the idea that they are unable to save themselves, that they need God's grace and Jesus' sacrifice on the cross. We live in a world in which suffering leads to shame. Often when we talk about our faith, we face judgment and persecution. This may not be as extreme as what Paul faced, but we are made to feel that our beliefs are wrong, undesirable or shameful that it would be better for us to drop our beliefs, or at least to not bring them up again. We are taught to be ashamed of the gospel and ashamed of the testimony about our Lord. And yet Paul, who faced more persecution than most of us, if not all of us in this room put together, felt no shame. And he encourages Timothy not to be ashamed either. Why is it? That Paul tells Timothy not to be ashamed. In verses 11 and 12, Paul says, And of this gospel I was appointed a herald and an apostle and a teacher. That is why I am suffering as I am. Yet this is no cause for shame, because I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. Paul says... There is no cause for shame because he knows the God that he believes in. Because he knows beyond doubt the power of the gospel and the power of the one the gospel speaks of. 
In Romans 1.16, Paul writes, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believe. The gospel is the power of God that brings salvation to all who believe. And this is the gospel that we believe in. The power of God. And our God never changes. He was the same 2,000 years ago as he is today and he will be forever. And we can always have confidence in the power of the gospel. I remember a time when I was in year seven. I was in the school canteen with my mates and a girl from my church who was a few years older walked past. And as she walked past, she said, hello. My friend turned to me and said, how do you know that girl? And in that moment, I felt shame for admitting to my friend I knew her because we went to the same church. Since then, I've grown considerably in my faith. And as my relationship with God has grown, I have seen his power and the power of the gospel. For the last years, I've lived with people who aren't followers of Jesus. And we've regularly had conversations about my God and my faith and what I believe. God has replaced my shame with confidence. This wasn't something that happened overnight, but a process that happened over many years. It involved stepping out, putting myself in situations in which I was vulnerable to suffering for the gospel. So I encourage you, step out. Put yourself in situations in which you are vulnerable to suffer for the gospel. I'm not saying you won't face opposition. You probably will. Jesus knew that. That's why he said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and say all kinds of things, of evil things against you because of me. But he also added, rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. With the promise of such great reward, Let us be loyal to Jesus by not being ashamed of him or of the gospel. The final way Paul encourages Timothy to be loyal is by holding on to the truth. Verses 13 and 14 say, What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching with faith and love in Christ Jesus. Guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. Today, we're pretty lucky. I'm pretty sure most of the people in this room own a Bible. And if you don't, it's very easy to download an app or to read the Bible online. But things were very different when Paul and Timothy were alive in the first century. The average person didn't have access to the Gospels. The likelihood is that many churches didn't have their copy of the Gospels, and maybe those that did only had a single Gospel. Teaching was done orally, and people had to remember what they were taught. Nowadays, it's very easy to check whether teaching is sound, because we can compare it with the truth that we find in the Bible. But in the first century, that wasn't possible. And as a result, it was easy for false teaching to spread. And this was what was happening in Ephesus. 
One of the key reasons Timothy had been sent to Ephesus was to confront the corrupt teachers in Ephesus who were leading believers astray. Timothy never met Jesus, so he couldn't use what he had learned from Jesus as the pattern of sound teaching. But he did spend 15 years travelling with Paul. And over these years, Paul had been depositing the gospel of truth into Timothy. This is why he says to Timothy, What you have heard from me, keep as the pattern of sound teaching. As a leader in the early church, Timothy was involved in teaching the true gospel and correcting false beliefs. He had to do so using the gospel that Paul had deposited in him. So it was vital that Timothy guarded it. The verb Paul uses means to guard something so that it is not lost or damaged. It's used elsewhere in the New Testament to talk about guarding a palace against marauders or guarding possession from thieves. It's something that you have to be conscious and intentional about. Like Timothy, each of you have been entrusted with a good deposit. When you read the Bible, when you listen to sermons, when you discuss the gospel in your community groups, you are receiving a precious deposit, the truth of the gospel. And like Timothy, we are to guard this deposit. We are to make sure that this deposit is not lost or damaged. About a year ago, I started working as a tutor, and one of my students came to me with a GCSE question. For the life of me, I couldn't remember how to solve this question. It wasn't that this was a new topic that I had never learnt before, but simply in the past 10 years, I had forgotten this information to make room for new things in my mind. We must make sure that the good deposit is not being wiped from our mind to make room for other things. One of the ways we do that is by reminding ourselves of the truth. And we do that by reading the Bible regularly, by coming to church and hearing sermons, by discussing it in our community group. Here at CCM, we take communion every week. And every time we take it, we are reminded of Jesus submitting himself to death as a sacrifice for our sins. Repetition isn't a bad thing. Repetition helps us to guard the good deposit that was entrusted to us. We must also make sure that our good deposit doesn't become corrupted. Just as when you choose apples in a supermarket, you check them over You put the good apples in your bag and you put the bruised apples back. So we must consider the information that we hear and we read. Is it in line with what the Bible says? If so, deposit it and guard it. If not, reject it. Thankfully, we don't have to do this alone. Verse 14 says, guard the good deposit that was entrusted to you. Guard it with the help of the Holy Spirit who lives in us. When we become Christians, we are filled with the Holy Spirit. We have a helper who lives in us, who helps us to hold on to the precious deposit that we have received. So let us show loyalty to Jesus by guarding the good deposit he has given us. So what is loyalty? This evening we have considered the ways that we can be loyal to Jesus 
and to the gospel. By using the gifts that we have been given, by not being ashamed of the testimony of our Lord, and by holding on to the truth. And yet, it was Jesus who demonstrated the ultimate act of loyalty. The Bible says we were chosen and given grace before the beginning of time. And even though all of us at some point have gone our own way and have lived the way we wanted to, God, in his faithfulness, sent his son to die as an atoning sacrifice for our sins so that we may be restored to relationship with God. In verses 9 and 10, Paul briefly reminds Timothy of this gospel. And if you're sitting here today and you're a follower of Jesus, this message also applies to you, and this is it. God has saved you and called you to a holy life, not because of anything you have done, but because of his purpose and grace. This grace was given to you in Christ Jesus before the beginning of time, but has now been revealed through the coming of Christ Jesus, the Saviour, who has destroyed death and has brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, this is what God is inviting you to, to be saved, to receive his grace, to turn away from sin and towards a holy life. Through his sacrifice on the cross, Jesus defeated death so that you might have a personal relationship with God and receive the promise of eternal life. Will you accept his invitation? I'm going to finish here and pray for us. So if you'd all like to stand up. Father God, I thank you for your loyalty. I thank you that even though we have turned our backs on you, that you remained faithful, that you sent your son to die for us. I ask that you would help us to recognize the gifts that you have given to us and you would give us the strength we need to start developing and nurturing those gifts so that we may use them to benefit the church and to build your kingdom. I ask that you would Give us your spirit to help us not to be ashamed, but to give us confidence to be vulnerable to suffering so that we may glorify you and that the gospel may be proclaimed to those we know. I thank you for all of us, or all of the truth givers in our lives, the people who have deposited the truth of your word to each and every one of us. I ask that you would be with us and help us to guard that truth, that we may stand on it as our foundation. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.